So about 20 years ago, Andrea and I were on a road trip from Nevada to Arizona. And I don't know if you've done any traveling in the middle of the desert. Uh, most people, when they go to the desert, they go to big tourist destinations like Palm Springs or Las Vegas. But on the roads in between those places that you're really trying to get to, what you find in the desert occasionally are these random, weird how did this get here kind of towns? And uh, I have seen my share of those towns, towns with landscaping made out of junk metal and empty bottles, towns dedicated to mimicking radiator springs from the Pixar movie Cars, that's a real town. And towns, uh, towns I'm not sure why they even call it a town because it seems more like an excuse to build a giant thermometer if you have seen that town. But a number of years back, Andrea and I were driving in Arizona and we decided to stop off at a little town named Oatman. Oatman is a former mining town. It peaked in the early 1900s. In 1915, two prospectors struck a $10 million gold find. 1915, as you can imagine, people came running. Um, when I say that it peaked, at its largest, the town had 3,500 people living in it, but it didn't take long for the gold mining to dry up, and today, Oatman boasts a population of 134 people. However, there's another population in and around Oatman that I want to tell you about. In fact, it's the reason that most people stop there. At least it's the reason we stop there. Oatman is known for its huge population of wild donkeys that roam the streets. Apparently, when the gold miners came to town, they brought pack animals with them to help them do their work. But when the mines shut down, they set the donkeys free to roam the hills. And for over 100 years now, this town has been overrun with donkeys, get this, 1,500 that live in the surrounding hills, any number of which descend on the town during the day to come and find food from tourists like me who will pay top dollar for a bag of carrots from the general store <laughs> and feed them to their heart's content. Uh, I remember when I first pulled into Oatman watching these animals eyeing me as I got out of the car, like, will this guy have food or not? Staring me down. In fact, at one point coming up and hassling me, uh, they're friendly donkeys, but they're incredibly aggressive, have no problem coming up to whatever food is in your hand, ice cream cone, whatever it is, decide it belongs to them, and they try to take a bite. Uh, just so that you could see what I mean, I went on YouTube and I found some footage of a typical day with the donkeys of Oatman. Can we roll that? Do you like the apples? Hello, sweetie. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I bet that's so good. Is that good? <laughs> just like it must be so good. Whoa. Hello. Yes, you're a good boy. Yes, you are. I love you very much. And Pumpkin loves you too. What do you say, Pumpkin? He's a nice. He's nice. He's good. We don't have any more. We don't have any more. No more. <laughs> no more. We don't have any more. I don't have any more. Really. Okay, we're going to go. Bye-bye. I know. You're sweet. I don't have any more. Really. Okay, I got to go. Bye.
Bye. Oh, whoa! <laughs> and this guy got. <laughs> this guy got mad. He put his ears back. He's gonna kick the other one. Oh my oh, gosh. Pumpkin, stay. Uh, wait, we gotta go. No, he's mad. His ears are back. I know. Oh, bye, bye. bye. I don't wanna run over their hooves. <laughs> okay. Is he in the way? I don't know where his hooves are. I can't see him. Pumpkin, shh. So you can see they're very aggressive, right? Um, when I was there, people were hiding their bags of carrots in their purses or their camera bags. It didn't stop them. The donkeys would just come take hold of your camera bag. They know no boundaries. They have no limits. When they want something, it's like a bag of carrots is everything in the world, and they cannot stop themselves satisfying their desire. It is their main drive. Now, here's the thing about these donkeys. They don't need the carrots. They could do just fine living off the land. The reason there are 1,500 is because there's plenty out in the desert hills to feed them, provide for them. In fact, if you were to talk to the veterinarians who work for the, the Bureau of Land Management, what they would tell you is the donkeys who do not come to town are significantly healthier than the donkeys that do, who cannot resist these very enticing, very tempting treats brought by the tourists. These donkeys who cannot stop and must leave their here to get there where the carrots are. These donkeys whose drive to get what they want leads them into a lifestyle that is incredibly unhealthy and will most likely lead them to an early demise. And there's a reason that I bring that up today. It's because I think quite often we are just like the donkeys of Oatman. Every single one of us has a bag of carrots. Yours is probably different than mine, but we have this thing. We have this town that tempts us down from the hills, and it entices us. And what's in this town, we know it's not something we need, but when it presents itself like a bag of carrots to a donkey, we find it hard to resist. We want to leave the hills and go there instead of stay here. Now, what makes us even worse than the donkeys? We have human intelligence that tells us that bag of carrots might do us some harm. But even though we know it, the temptation is so overwhelming, we give in anyway. We leave the here so we can get to there. And, and let me just be more direct about this. I think in some ways we're just like those donkeys, not just because when temptation comes up, we give in. I think we're like them in that we pursue it. We go after that bag of carrots. The carrots become everything. We get aggressive and stubborn. And in some instances, we will not stop until we get there where the carrots are. I want to look with you today at a person in the Bible who gets a very enticing offer, the best bag of carrots he could ever want, and he struggles with his here and with his there, and he struggles with resisting, and he struggles with making a better choice. And his story, the way that God tries to intersect it, has huge implications for how God wants to help you with your bag of carrots and how you resist yours. I think God wants to say something to you today about your here possibly being better than your there. But before we jump into the Bible and look at this story together, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to identify your thing, your bag of carrots. And I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. I'm not going to ask you to turn it and write it down or turn to the person next to you and tell what I, what I want you to think of. What is your thing? What is the thing 
that you go after, that you get singularly focused on, that tempts you, may not be good for you, but it's hard to resist anyway, what is the thing that brings you down from the hills and makes you aggressive, that you pursue knowing it affects your life in an unhealthy way? For some of you, it's control. Control drives you. You, you want to be in control of your situations. You need to be in control of the people around you. And if you were to just have an honest moment of clarity, you might admit to yourself that a good portion of your day, you obsess on, on finding a way to control the details of your life. It's like it invades your thoughts. You, you, you find yourself strategizing on how to be the one with the power. Now, because a lot of us are in denial, here's how you know that this is yourself. When almost every day you catch yourself thinking, if I could just get these people to do things my way, everything would work out all right. Okay, your bag of carrots or you're there, it's probably control. For lots of us, it's money. I just need to be clear on this one. I don't know anyone who doesn't need more money. So just because you think about money doesn't mean money's your obsession. I just mean that money becomes a bag of carrots when you're tempted to do something a little bit shady to get money or more likely to keep money. When, when you're willing to go all the way up to the boundary of what's right and every so often you step over the edge. Money might be your there. For some people, it's an addiction. Or again, because we're in denial about that, let me take it back. I, I don't want to use that word. It's a, it's a dependence problem. What, what I mean is you have an unhealthy drive to escape or cope through drugs or alcohol, maybe even food. Your bag of carrots might be a bag of Doritos. Um, I'll say for me, I can identify with that one. My greatest temptation to escape whatever stress I want to escape into food. There are all sorts of things Different for each of us could be some sort of unhealthy sexual activity, could be pornography. Just identifies yours right now. Lock it in your head. What is your bag of carrots? What is the city that calls you down out of the hills? What is your there? I think it's going to help to have yours in mind as you hear the story today of this guy and his temptation. Now, normally, we would read the entire story, put it up on the screens, but this story spans like three really long chapters. And so rather than reading the whole thing together, I'm gonna just kind of tell it to you in my own words. Every so often, we'll take a look at some key verses on the screens. And, and more than that, I wanna use some chicken scratch visuals that I think might help you understand what's really going on here. You'll see what I mean. We're gonna look at the story of a man named Balaam. Would you say Balaam with me? Can we say it together? Balaam. Uh, it begins in Numbers 22, and Balaam comes on the scene right around the time that Moses and God's people have escaped Egypt, and they're making their way to the promised land. Word has started to spread about the way that these people left Egypt, and Moses is their leader, and how he has led them through these battles, and how they keep winning, and they have this powerful God on their side. And in Numbers 22, God's people come to a place that is near a kingdom named Moab. And the king of Moab sees that they're close and he starts panicking. Because what if they do to me and my kingdom what it seems like they've done to other people's kingdoms? And, and so the king comes up with a very unorthodox plan to try and defeat God's people. 
And his plan involves a guy named Balaam who lives miles and miles away in a completely different country. He wants to hire Balaam to perform a curse. Now, let me, let me just explain what I mean by that. Balaam was what was known at the time as a diviner. A diviner was kind of an ancient psychic slash fortune teller slash wizard. And what diviners would do, you would come to them and you would pay them a fee and ask a question and they would perform a ritual and they'd go to the gods, whatever gods that might be, and they would try to get an answer for you. The point of a diviner was to try and interact with some godlike entity, ask questions, get you answers. And this was a business. This is how a person like Balaam would make their living. But the Bible tells us that Balaam had a reputation for doing something that other diviners would never do. If the price was right, he wouldn't just ask different gods different questions. He would perform some kind of curse and make it so that you could defeat your enemies or get revenge or get your way, whatever you'd want. If you were willing to pay, he was kind of a gun for hire. And it's why the king of Moab, who's very afraid that God's people are really close, it's why he doesn't just get a diviner from his own kingdom, but he sends messengers to go to Balaam, who's very far away, and get him to come and do this little extra deal. And as I say this, I hope you're thinking back to your bag of carrots. Why would Balaam be so willing to cross these boundaries and, and go beyond what's normal and acceptable in their culture or in their world? It is because Balaam has this bag of carrots. He has this thing that tempts him and calls out to him, and he has a hard time resisting. For him, it's more money. Money is his there. It, it, it's where he would rather be than here, richer. And what I want you to do is I tell you this story. I, I, I kind of want to show you the struggle that, that Balaam has, all right? He knows that cursing another nation, innocent people, not good form. It is over the edge for him. It's not good for them, probably not good for him in the long run, but just over the edge hangs the bag of carrots. And it's hard to not pursue. And he's made a habit of it. And he's got a reputation for it. And the king knows it. And it's why he sends for Balaam. All right, the story goes that the messengers get to Balaam in this distant country and they tell him that they will pay him well for a curse on God's people. Essentially, they dangle the carrot. And so Balaam tells them, tell you what, make yourselves comfortable. Stay at my house here and tonight while you're sleeping, I'll do a ritual and I will go speak to the God of these people that you want me to curse. And tomorrow morning when we wake up, I'll let you know what their God says. I want you to get something here. Balaam wants to do this, knows that it's wrong, but instead of sending them away, he looks for a way to see if God will let him take this bag of carrots. He decides to flirt with the idea, maybe there's a way to get his hands on this money. And just stopping there for a second, isn't that just like us with our thing? For me, I will know that something is wrong, it's unhealthy, I shouldn't do it, but it's just hanging there. And so instead of running away, I engage it a little bit. I get a little bit closer to the edge just to see what the carrot is really all about. Balaam does this ritual, even though he knows he shouldn't. And, and, and that night, he talks to God, and God makes it very clear. You should not, you cannot, I will not let you curse my people. God says, those people are blessed. 
The Bible tells us that Balaam wakes up the next morning and he goes to the king's messengers and he tells them, God said no, and I can't even go back to your kingdom with you. So thanks, but no thanks. Take your money and go home. I will not go there. And I'll just say that had to be very hard for Balaam to do because what drives him is money. And it had to be very hard to turn that money down. Balaam takes a step back from the edge. The story goes that when the king hears Balaam said no, he is amazed because he knows Balaam will do anything for money. And so he thinks I must not have offered him enough. And the king sends a second delegation of much more important people who can be far more persuasive. And look at this verse. The king has them say to Balaam, do not let anything keep you from coming to me because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and could have put a curse on these people for me. And the bag of carrots just got bigger. Anything I say? They'll give me anything I want? Now check this out. This is an awesome Balaam moment. I want you to read this. But Balaam answered them, even if the king gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. And we read that and we think, great answer, Balaam. Way to resist temptation. Way to see the carrot and then to turn and walk the other way. Well done. And we think, victory for Balaam. You conquered your temptation. You beat it. But here's where the story takes a dark turn. Because the same day, right after he told them no way, Balaam invites the messengers to spend the night again and let him perform a ritual and see if there's any way that he and God can work something out. This is incredibly relevant to us. I want you to just feel this. Balaam walks away, but he doesn't walk far enough. He turns around and he can still see the carrots. And so he walks back. What he's doing is walking back. Do you see yourself do that? You resist and then you give in. You resist and then you give in. All in the same day. Sometimes in the very same moment. These carrots are a struggle. They're not easy answers, and there's no easy solutions, and a victory in one moment does not mean a victory forever. And I don't know about you, I beat myself up about that. I imagine you probably do too. I, I, just so you know, resistance is hard. We all fail. We can't do it without God's help, and God still loves you when you fail, and he wants to help, and that's what happens with Balaam. God decides to try and intervene. He loves Balaam, but he's angry that Balaam would come and try to convince him to curse the people a second time. And so he says, you know what, Balaam? Why don't you go? If you really want the money, why don't you go? And of course, we know that God's never going to let him curse the people. But God wants to show Balaam how to resist the back of carrots. And so he lets him go. He lets him leave his here and start to travel to there. The Bible says that Balaam got up the next morning, saddled up his donkey, and he set out with the officials on the long journey back to the kingdom of Moab. They start riding toward the carrots. So listen to what God does. The Bible tells us that as they're on the road, an angel with a sword stands in the road to stop them. God sends an angel with a sword to stop him, but Balaam can't see it. 
Now, there's all sorts of questions as to why Balaam can't see it. Is the angel invisible? Is God keeping him from seeing it? Personally, I think he can't see it because he's looking at the bag of carrots in front of him. Um, Like the donkeys in Oatman, he's got a singular focus. There is something he's pursuing. Nothing else matters. The money is everything. But get this, the donkey sees the angel. And we read that the donkey gets freaked out and he turns off the road into a field. Now, when this happens, Balaam gets angry. How how am I going to get there if my donkey wants to stay here? And so he beats the donkey. And they get back on the road and they continue. Nothing is going to keep him from that money. A second time, the angel appears. Balaam only sees dollar signs. He does not see the angel. But the donkey does. And the donkey, again, veers off course. Balaam gets angry, beats the donkey. You know the drill. They're back on the way to there. Okay, a third time, the angel appears And this time, the donkey's in a tight place where he cannot veer to the right or to the left, but he's so spooked that he just stops and lies down. And Balaam is so angry that he beats him again. And then something ridiculous happens. The donkey talks. I don't mean brays or hee-haws or does whatever donkeys do. The Bible tells us the donkey talks. Now, I'll tell you in just a second what he says, but I should admit to you, I struggle with that. For some reason, you know, Jesus rising from the dead, I got it. God parting the Red Sea, believe it. But a donkey speaking human language, that just seems unbelievable. That just seems like something somebody made up. Um, I mentioned this to a, a professor of mine once. I said, how do we know that this donkey of Balaam's really spoke? It's, it's easier to believe that somebody's lying about this. And he made a good point. Um, If the person who wrote the book of Numbers, which is where this is, and the first five books of the Bible, if they were going to lie about an animal talking, there were all sorts of places that that could have been made up. Plenty of animals in the writings of this author who do not talk. They just do normal animal things. There's only one other place. It's a snake in the Garden of Eden. Other than that, the author of these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, they do not live in a Dr. Doolittle world where animals talk. But the thing to remember is Balaam does, right? He's a diviner. He's used to God speaking to him in weird ways. I am sure that a donkey talking was not a normal experience for Balaam any more than it is for you. But keep in mind, Balaam did not live and play and work in the world of normal. His profession was about abnormal and bizarre and unusual. And maybe God needs to one-up him to get his attention. And so the donkey talks, and he says, why do you keep beating me? I've been a great donkey to you for years. And Balaam, surprised, says, why do you keep going off the road? And in that moment, the Bible says that Balaam's eyes were opened, and he saw the angel with the sword that the donkey had been seeing, and he fell to the ground next to the donkey, put his face down in the ground, and he said, I am so sorry. I have sinned. You were standing in the road to keep me from going over the edge, and I almost missed it. He says, God has been trying to help me, and I didn't see him because I had made the pursuit of that money my everything, and I consider myself fortunate that you stopped me in time. You've been here trying to keep me from going there because there is over the edge, and God has something better for me in my here. In the middle of his temptation, God was present trying to help 
And Balaam is so preoccupied with getting there, he hadn't seen him. Is that you? I want to share two quick things for you out of this Balaam story before I tell you how it ends, all right? The first one, when it comes to your bag of carrots, you have got to avoid pride. I know you've heard before pride comes before a fall, right? I'm amazed that Balaam had the pride to say, I will never disobey God, not for all the silver and gold in your kingdom. And then like five minutes later, looked for a way he could get all the silver and gold in the kingdom. If we're going to fight our temptation and and resist, we have got to have a healthy humility about how susceptible we are. And I need to tell you that humility is so much more than just recognizing we sin. It's being willing to step out of denial and step out of hiding and tell it to someone else. One of the greatest things that you could do to avoid pride is humble yourself and tell someone what your bag of carrots is. As I say that, some of you have never told that to anyone. And the longer you go avoiding that, the closer you're going to get to the edge. If you go through life keeping secret your bag of carrots, whether that's unhealthy sexual choices, substance abuse, like I said before, control in relationships, maybe it's dishonesty. If you go through life thinking, I know what this is, but I don't want anybody else to know what this is because I can fix it on my own. I can resist on my own. You will find that your pride will take you over the edge. The second thing for you and me out of this story, God is offering to help for us to resist this temptation, but you have to see him standing in the way. God tried to stop Balaam, but he was so set on moving forward into there, the there that he wanted, he wouldn't see it. He couldn't see it. Hear that. Temptation is not just about that thing that's dangling in front of you. It's about your pursuit of that thing that's dangling. It's about you coming out of the hills to find that thing that is dangling. You cannot remove every bag of carrots that's out there. There will be opportunities and there will be temptation, but God's method has never been to get rid of all the temptation in your life. It's to stand in the way and tell you to turn around. He is about changing your pursuit. How do you do that? by putting your eyes on him and not the bag. Stop making money or alcohol or control or power or pornography or a deep desire to be married or whatever. Stop making that your everything. Make God your everything. God says, when you see the bag of carrots, pursue me, not it. Change what you focus on. Change what you think about. And and, and for many of us, That's something we haven't tried, focusing on God in that moment. I want you to see what happens with Balaam. God shows up, he stands in the way, and Balaam realizes it. And he says, what am I doing? I've let this pursuit of this other thing drive who I am instead of my pursuit of God. And he thinks, who have I become? This person who can only see carrots is not who I am. That is not the real me. And the story goes that Balaam gets up from his knees and he says, I am so sorry. I will turn around and go the other way. I will go home. This is not me. I will stay here. And God says, not so fast. Balaam, I want you to go meet with the king. And I want you to hear him out. And this time, I want you to keep your eyes on me, not 
the money. Stay focused on me. Don't say anything I don't tell you to say. Pursue me, and while you're there, I will tell you what to do. And so Balaam goes, and the king sets him up on a spot where he can look out over the people of Israel. And the king says, okay, you're a diviner. Do your ritual and curse the people. And Balaam does his ritual, but God gives him some amazing words to say. Balaam stands there in front of that king looking out at God's people. And among his speech, he says, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? I mean, he just so gets it now. And instead of a curse, he blesses God's people. The king is angry. And he says, I've offered you all this money. What are you doing? You blessed them. You were supposed to curse them. Let's try it again. And so he takes him to a second spot. And, and he says, Balaam, do your ritual. And this time Balaam does it. But he says, God is not a human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. God has blessed these people and I cannot change it. Don't you see the words of a guy who just gets it? God has met him, he's humbled himself, he's got his eyes on God instead, and now he's pursuing something very different. Again, the king is ticked off, and he says, this was not the deal. I mean, I get it if you can't curse them, but you have to keep blessing them? But he tries to get Balaam to do it one more time. Same ritual, but a new, even better spot on the edge of a cliff looking out over God's people, and Balaam does his thing, hears from God, and he comes to the edge of the cliff, and he says, Israel's king will be greater than the greatest king that our world knows. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them up out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces with their arrows. They pierce them like a lion. They crouch and lie down like a lioness. Who dares to rouse them? Look at this. May those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you, like this guy, may they be cursed. And with that, Balaam packed up and started to head home, and the king shouted at him, I summoned you to curse my enemies, but you've blessed them these three times. I said that I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. And Balaam turned and said in so many words, for me right now, it's not about the money. You could give me all the gold and silver in your palace. You could give me everything, but it would not be everything because today I am not looking at the money. I am finally looking at something else. And he left the there and went back to his here, a much freer man. And there is freedom from the carrots, crosswinds. There was freedom because he humbled himself and he put his eyes on God. One of the ways that we do that around here is through communion. Communion is this regular act where we remember what Jesus did on the cross. We remember his body broken for us, represented in the bread and his blood shed for us, represented in the juice. And when we come to the table, it's this act that we remember of Jesus dying for our sins. It's a way we come humbly saying, I need this. I need you, God. I cannot turn away. 
on my own. I don't have the power to resist on my own. I'll tell you, communion is also the place we put our eyes on God. We turn our eyes on the cross and we remember this incredible love that would intervene in our walking towards the edge, intervene to save us from walking off. Here's how we'd like to do communion today. I want to ask you to stand, actually, with us right now. Would you do that? Derek and the band are going to lead us in a song. And um, Derek's going to sing this first verse. Um, As he does, would you take a second and just humble yourself with God right now? In fact, I want to, would you bow your heads? I, I, I want us to take a moment. And maybe, maybe right now, what would be very important for you would be to just admit what your thing is to God. You're there. The thing that you pursue with reckless abandon. And now, in this moment, Would you look for him to be your everything? As we go to the tables, would you find God in your here? Derek's going to start singing, and I want to invite you to come to the tables and take the elements and bring them back to your seat. And maybe just continue to stay focused as we sing this song on what it is to have God be present in your here. And then Andrew is going to come up and lead us in taking these together. Derek, will you come lead us, and you can start making your way to the tables. <laughs>